My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that I give them in a shade. similarities between the modern icons of celebrity and the ancient idols of worship. This overtone of grand persona gleams through the grand conspiracy, and from this awakened perspective, we realize there's a big club and you're not in it. And the in-crowd often cannot be described as famous. It seems the infamous hold the true influence, and that may be enough to make anyone paranoid. Today's guest knows exactly who the real movers and shakers are, and they've penned them down in bold black ink to let you fill in the blanks. Thomas, the man behind ParanoidAmerican.com, and artist Shane Golden, here with us on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. I'm your host, Mystic Mark. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy this episode. the military and government agencies have some kind of a star or star and sun and moon symbolism on the uniforms. Think of like a four-star general. They get these four stars on their shoulder. Some of that is to indicate that anyone dies in the service of these stars are essentially these human sacrifices up to the star gods um, up, up above. No dicks. <laughs> No dicks, right? Because when, when I first saw Shane's work, he had a, a a drawing of, who was a Henry Kissinger, but he was just yeah. made out of like 20 dicks coming out of his face. <laughs> and that was what originally caused me to reach out to him. But when we were working on this, I was like, look, I love that one. And that's why I contacted you. But for the <laughs> record, I don't want any like dicks in the coloring book. think that what you guys are doing in the comic book press publishing world is very adjacent to what I sort of got into this world through, right? The underground rap music scene where artists like R.A. the Rugged Man and Vinnie Paz would take these cultural uh, fringe ideas and weave them into their artwork, into their music. It's, it's crazy you mentioned that, man, because like before I started any of this, 
I had gone to school originally, I wanted to be an audio engineer. And uh, one of like the first big interviews that I got was with R.A. the Rugged Man. And and on top of that, I've done a couple tracks with like Army of the Pharaohs and some of the adjacent crews, which is in that that little world. I did one with Outer Space. I I can't remember the names. There were so many of them, but like like that whole little crew, I've kind of ran with them for a few tracks as well. So that was kind of my comeuppance too, man. It was it was a a Kill Army (laughs) or like a RZA song that was talking about a Jordan Maxwell clip about the Illuminati. And I remember that was like the first thing that burrowed itself in my head that yes. came back out like four years later. Yes, that's how this stuff works, man. And I think that's what's so cool about what you're doing with your artwork and with getting the right artists like Shane here in place to put together something cool like this comic book. So for those of us who are listening and may not be familiar with you both can you guys tell us a little bit about yourselves now that we're live on rockfin we got one person watching and this is going out (laughs) on the my family thinks i'm crazy podcast feed we're going live on the super bowl sunday night while all the occult ritual symbolism is happening on that side of the world we're going to be talking about all this on this side of the world so here we have some occult rituals ourselves here (laughs) just to bounce it out exactly (laughs) exactly you can go ahead thomas if you want to start off but Okay. My name's Thomas. Most people just refer to me as Paranoid American. I've been publishing comics and games and artwork that all kind of deal specifically with occult research and conspiracy theories. So I've been doing that for the last 10 years or so. 2012 is when I kind of started the business and and created Paranoid American. And I think I'm like 400 pages deep with various projects and things like that. And the latest thing that that we're talking about here is a coloring book called Paranoid Portraits that Shane here created, you know, 33 different portraits plus the cover of various characters and conspiracy theorists and just like really notable people in history that probably don't get as much recognition as they should. So that's kind of where we started off with it. There was and I'll, some, I'll leave that off to Shane. Yeah, well, and I'll, I'll just real quick, I'll say there were some folks in this coloring book that even I, not that I'm the expert, but even I were like, who the hell is this? So I'm oh, excited. I'd love to touch on those specifically. I'm excited, be great. yeah, to get into those. But Shane, please tell us about yourself, and thank you for being here, brother, on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy show. Hey, thank you, buddy. This is really cool. Just this is my second podcast ever. So thank you, Mark, for letting me on here. Yeah, I'm just an artist from Central PA. I've been drawing my whole life. Very into conspiracies, like Sam talks about. I was, you know, my first conspiracy is Santa Claus, right? I was that kid that believed in Santa Claus. I was, until I was like way too old, like 12 years old, you know? And once I found that out, I was like, what the fuck? Are they lying about now, you know? So, yeah, I've been into conspiracies for a long time. Just, yeah, I remember 9-11 was a real big end for me. I was in seventh grade, you know? I remember that being a very pivotal moment for me being, getting into, like, you know, what what is really happening. So, yeah. Now, now you said you're in Central PA. If you don't mind disclosing at least the town or at least the area, are you, are you by the Susquehanna River by any chance? Is that... Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm real close to uh, the capital, Harrisburg. I'm like okay. 45 minutes outside of it, actually in a town uh, called Carlisle. And what's really wild is a Greg Carlwood had a guy on that was talking all about Dickinson College and the satanic cult 
involvement with that. And, and, and that's where I'm from, you know, and he only had him on once, but that's wild. That was a really wild episode. Are you talking about Jay Parker as the guest? Yeah, yes. Yes. Boom, dude, this is synchronistic yep. because nice. my, my co-host on the show, your handbook for the apocalypse, Michael Wan, he was also on the higher side chats talking about that area and yeah, yep. man, there is definitely something interesting about that area. And it's not a surprise to me that you're from there and you're cooking up all these conspiracy, <laughs> uh, these conspiracy prints, brother, because there's something in the air. I've driven through the area several times and it's definitely magical from the Amish to the, you know, just the natural landscape to the Masons and all the weird esoteric societies that have been there. It's truly a weird place, but we'll get back to that as the time, you know, as the conversation goes, I always like to, to make a point to point out synchros and things that stand out Absolutely. to me. But you, you mentioned that we can screen share some of these prints. I want to start off maybe connecting Benjamin Franklin because he's the first one and we're talking about Pennsylvania. We're talking about Philadelphia. We're talking about, you know, all these places you got to mention Benjamin Franklin, because he's a big, big figure in Pennsylvania's history. So, you know, what inspired you guys to put him as the first first one? I mean, that kind of seems like a big spot. He's the first uh, I'll, person that I'll people leave with are going to color. And then that take over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you leave with that part. So, so we made a conscious decision here to not include any uh, American presidents. I mean, that's for a good reason. Uh, and because of that, we realized that we wanted to have some guy that was, you know, very close to sort of being American president and someone that, that uh, represented a whole lot of American culture, but maybe was not uh, thoroughly American himself, just to kind of indicate that, you know, a lot of the influence that you're going to see in this book comes from outside America, but it's all very uniquely American. And I think that Benjamin Franklin kind of represents that concept better than anyone else in this book really could. Absolutely. And you definitely have, I mean, you know, Benjamin Franklin famously a part of the Hellfire Club, a very esoteric, we'll say maybe even alchemical society. And it looks like some deep alchemical symbolism here. Is there anything you can add to, you know, the significance of the knife, the, the maybe the initials on the the hilt of the knife there, or maybe like, you know, the cups, we have the sun and the moon, you see that in the, in certain tarot cards, yeah, very. I mean, every picture in every illustration in this book is very heavily influenced on just esoteric paintings and symbology and everything. And with Franklin's picture here, the goblets are kind of referencing his carnal habits and love of drink, you know? And you have the Yaking and on each of the goblets, you know, referencing not only freemasonry pillars but you know the numerous lodges and knowledge and involvement with free freemasonry and then you have the vines coming down into these ashlers right which you know perfect ashlers right which represents just like the perfect knowledge of freemasonry and then uh, a couple you have air being the one alchemical symbol on the left in earth, which is kind of like my play on like as above, so below. And then his chess pieces, you know, Ben Franklin, from what I was reading, was a very avid chess player. He loved it, very into it. And the chess pieces were like, 
you know, with the pawn above as the all-seeing eye. I tried to include that on every one of these pictures, just being like, you know, the Illuminati, right? You know, that play on that. And the all-seeing eye, the king. The king piece on has the arms of chaos. Shane, hold on a second. Can I ask you a question? Are you using Bluetooth headphones? Yeah, do you want me to turn them off? No, no, no. What I'm noticing is when you turn your head to the right, the Bluetooth in your ear on the right must be going too far away from whatever it's connecting to because you only break up when you turn your head to the right like that. So maybe, yeah, maybe the phone get closer up in here, man. or maybe get up put, in here. put your notes in front of you, but there's something going on when you turn your head to the right okay. where you start sounding like a robot. So my guess is it's Bluetooth related. <laughs> okay, okay. Is it good now? I'm like turning my head. Is it good? <laughs> it's good, yeah. Okay, but yeah, the Ashlers, or no, 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 the chess pieces, the king has the arms of chaos, which that is, that originates from Aleister Crowley and his teachings of Thelema and stuff. And then the queen on the right side has the Leviathan cross, which I, it was wild. I didn't even know that was created by the Knights Templar. Hmm. The Leviathan cross, which is which part of the picture for those who are watching the, us? The Luciferian cross. Right. Yeah. Or the chess piece to the bottom right. Right, right. So it's kind of like, a, I mean, you could call it like, what, an eight-pointed star or something like that. But it I, just yeah. synchronistically, again, I was looking at Joe Rogan's um, cover art today, and it kind of looks like that. I don't know if you guys remember, <laughs> recall, like his, his cover art for his podcast has the like third eye on his forehead, and there's like a seven or eight pointed star behind it. I don't know. Just a weird little point there. But so this, the star of Leviathan, am I getting that right? Yeah. The Leviathan cross, cross, yeah. cross, sorry. Cross. Okay. Yeah. That's okay. <laughs> right on. Yeah. Definitely. You'll, you'll notice some other consistent themes here. Like, like Shane mentioned before the all seeing eye, you'll kind of find it hidden in at least every one of these. And then there's also in, in a lot of the uh, the pillars here of Jack and Boaz that the, you'll see a J and a B on the left and the right in a lot of these hidden somewhere. Mm, yeah. And is there a reason why the key is associated with the J and like the, the lock would be on the cup where the B is? Is there maybe like a significance there? Like the, the, the Yakim is well, the, the, the key is going to be made out of gold, which is representative of the sun there. And you've got the keyhole, which kind of represents the darkness, the moon, okay. um, the feminine right. energy, um, the key right, being right. the masculine energy. You know, you insert the key into the lock. So there's there's a lot of like cool things you can burrow down deep and find in here. Well, yeah, that's and that's why it's a, a pleasure to have you both here for this conversation, because I could even imagine folks buying this coloring book and listening to this conversation as they're just chilling and coloring it in. I mean, that would be I don't know, really <laughs> cool. cool way to spend uh, time your time listening to this episode. But let's go on to the next one. I know we got a lot in here. Is there, there's 33 exactly, or how many exactly are there? Is there a significant number to to how many there are before we go too far further? Yeah, I mean, you're, um, you're yeah. going to see the number 33 come up yeah. a lot in the, the pages themselves as well. Yeah, yeah. Right on. So this is Aleister Crowley with the famous, what's his name, Lam, that he saw over his right shoulder there in one of these meditations that he did, channelings. He had a vision of this Lam character, which some people have speculated is like a gray alien, myself included. I've also heard other people say it's kind of like just a what 
the the style of art he liked to draw mixed with like the perspective that he was seeing this figure in so yeah there's some mixed sim you know interpretations on lam himself but a lot more than just that tell me more about this there's like a almost like a magnifying glass opening into <laughs> alistair crowley's head like <laughs> a portal you got you, shane's got to explain that the eyeball <laughs> okay all right all right, listen, the on his head is supposed to be this portal, right? Which he, like, it's just, like, referencing the rituals of him, like, bringing forth these, like, dimensional demons or creatures or spirits, right? It's like, I tried to make the tubes to be very, like, organic, like, coming from his brain, you know? Like, it's, it's totally him. It's totally human, you know? And he's bringing forth this portal, and now in the middle, you have the all-seeing eye, but what's funny is Crowley would, he referenced the all-seeing eye. He, he likened it to a, a butthole <laughs> as, as like sodomy was like the key to opening up the tunnels of Typhon, right? Which are like almost like wormholes into another dimension into like other dimensions. So like I added that butthole in the middle and, <laughs> and, and I've heard Sam talk about it. I've heard Isaac Weishaupt talk about it. Like they, they, they definitely talk about the butthole, you know, that's a thing that's out there. And then Lom, or I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correctly, Tom, I, I was a was. I mean, I, I'm not an expert on the pronunciation. Of I've all heard the it. I've heard it pronounced. And I don't know how sarcastic this person was but i was listening to those conspiracy guys talk yeah, about gordo. Alice. gordo yeah, yeah shout out to gordo man and they were yeah. they were kind of joking they're like i was i was as in like i was doing this i was doing that you know kind of kind of seems like he was uh, you know projecting his own consciousness in that case but yeah i have heard yeah. you know or at least read his many various different entities that he supposedly engaged with. I mean, there's a whole, I think he rewrote the Goetia even, or at least like republished it and, and added like his own sort of forward to it. But yeah, if those aren't familiar with the Goetia, it's kind of like King Solomon's book of lesser spirits. And, you know, Iwas would have been possibly one of these lesser spirits or even, you know, lesser down on the hierarchy. I don't think Aleister Crowley was quite on King Solomon's level, but don't let me digress. Continue. We got, and then we got the, the hand symbol. Is there anything significant about the two fingers extended and the three fingers like that? Or is that just a stylistic um, choice? Well, I mean, not only is it a stylistic choice, but that's like, uh, I've heard it called the two finger salute. Okay. which is, it, it's also what Baphomet, which, I mean, later we'll get into him, but Baphomet has that, you know, famously, I, I mean, I don't know how I am on, on the camera, but like his, would be his left hand, right? Mm. And that's that's kind of referencing as above, so below, that, that whole type of thing, you know, the duality of man and stuff. That's why his hand's like that. I have the match, you know, the match referring to, chaos and destruction but also like debauchery and illumination being the way of of alistair's whole whatever with his magic you know his, his laws and stuff like that right and, right and it's no coincidence that he comes immediately after ben franklin and sort of setting <laughs> the tone for you know this this foreign influence that ultimately shaped american culture in many ways and this was also right. the i think this was the first 
sketch that Shane came up with when I saw it, I was like, yeah. all right, we need to, we need to do like a whole bunch of these, man. <laughs> this is, this is perfect. <laughs> right on. Right on. All right. I kind of see how it's coming together. And Benjamin Franklin, arguably very, very much like a, a French influence or even just like a European influence on the early colony colonial days. But now we, we, have... could, we could go on and on about him too, man. Cause like he <laughs> has this thread with like mind control and somnambulism and, mm. and uh, animal magnetism that that's, you know, I, I geek out over that stuff. Let's, too. let's definitely <laughs> revisit that for sure. Cause I want to touch on that, but Nikola Tesla here before me, I mean, this is somebody who, I have a loose connection with that I only discovered recently because his New York Wardenclyffe Tower is right across, you know, was built right across the sound from where I grew up. So if wow. you know, if it wasn't torn down, who knows, maybe I would have been able to see it in, in the distance. But, you know, it, it's very interesting considering what he was doing with ley lines and the energy grid of the earth. I'm like, wow, I'm in proximity to this. I wonder what kind of effect it had on on me, you know. So let's get into Tesla. You know, some people talk about the Tunguska event being that death ray. You have the death ray gun there. Very interesting stuff here. Yeah, that was that was a wild event that I had just learned about through just doing this work with Thomas. You know, that that was wild too. With you know, its ties to the death ray gun, but. I mean, let's let's start with that. You know, the toy death death ray gun. There, it's just kind of like it's referring to his, you know, supposed plans of having a death ray, and also like this whole thing of these numerous intelligence agencies trying to always obtain his plans for the death ray gun. I, I don't know how true it is. I was talking with Thomas. I don't know how true it is from what I had read, but when he had supposedly died or whatever, there was some intelligence agency. I know Trump's heritage, you know, his grand great grandfather, you know, is tied to this about obtaining plans or whatever, but I had heard, yeah, Donald Trump. Yeah. But when they had went in, this was one of the plans that they wanted to obtain from his safe. And from what I had read and heard, he had like, either like a little dumb little computer chip that was like, he, he even like purposefully like a kid, like spelt death ray with like a backwards R like kind of like a fuck you, you know, to them or like in his plans, he kind of wrote it like a child because they, from what I had read, they always were like wanting this death ray, but that was like, that was the least on his list of creations and thoughts and stuff, you know? So I thought that was kind of cool. So that's why I did like death ray gun is like a fifties metal toy, you know, like it's, is it real or not? You know? Right. And then with the warden cliff towers, you know, they're, they're symbolizing again, like Thomas said, Yaking and Boaz, you know, these pillars of reality that, that, that hold up his reality and his creations. And you have these alchemical symbols of starting with at the top copper, you know, that's definitely involved with electricity. You come down, magnetism, electricity, you know, his creations, glass, you know, light bulbs. You know, you have the light bulb above his head. His, and from what I had seen and, and created, that's his version of a light bulb on the top of him there. I mean, real quick, just 
that like anti-Illuminati. Like I definitely felt like Tesla was like, like again, like I don't know if you, I, I'm sure you're cool with swearing. I've heard it before, but like <laughs> fuck the Illuminati. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, well, and like, he was, fuck you. he was an anomaly for sure. And I think that's what happens with these genius prophet characters is the system identifies them and co-ops them to the best of their ability. And in this case, sadly, Tesla, you know, famously died, you know, penniless, even though a lot of his inventions made scientific revolutions and probably billions of dollars for the companies that came in and, you know, stole all his stuff. You know, John G. Trump is the, you know, grandfather of Donald Trump who supposedly came in and, and grabbed a lot of that stuff. And there is that weird theory about the Trump's participating in time travel. You know, you have this strange <laughs> 18th or 1800s, you know, pamphlet. The, about, the adventures of Baron. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there is, there's a lot of weird threads, you know, if, if I can sneak a little promo in please. here too, in, in my next coming issue of time samplers, number five, uh, we touched directly on that because the main characters go back and they try to bring Tesla into the future, but they run into Tesla basically on his deathbed, kind of like a broken man. When they, they scoot him back to the future, 2022. And soon after that, John Trump comes in and kind of like confiscates <laughs> everything. So I, Damn, I like doing yeah. a lot of nods to that throughout everything. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. And, and the links are in the description when this episode comes out, the live listeners uh, stay tuned, but yeah, we definitely want folks to go and check out your comics. You sent me, I think, Time Samplers number three, and I gave it to Mr. Tripoli. He enjoyed it. I think <laughs> that's an endorsement that anyone... That's the one that breaks down uh, Project uh, Monarch and the creation of like an Illuminati mind control as per Cisco Wheeler and, and Fritz Springmeier. Mm. I kind of illustrate all that and bring it to life. See, I have to remind Sam that that is not a not uh, a fictional comic book. I have to tell him that that's a nonfiction comic book. He needs to read it now. But all right, so Tesla, very much uh, a part of the fabric of American conspiracy culture. Let's see who comes up next. And now, now that the ones are getting harder and harder to identify, I think what'll be fun is if I don't have the best memory, so I don't remember the exact order. I'm gonna try to guess them. Because you okay. guys don't okay. have the names on them. Uh, and this one's a little easy. So this is a good one for me to start with. This is Jack Parsons, right? We got the JPL yeah. lab nod on the on the thing there. I don't know what that is. Maybe you can describe it. It's like yep. a bomb or something. I don't know what it is. but it, and that, that, the- That's actually that's actually his, his first, like, jet, like, his propulsion okay. for uh, the rockets. Yeah. Yeah, that's a famous picture. Like of a prototype. Yeah, yep. Very cool. And then we have the test tube beakers with some pentagram looking I don't actually no, those are those are OTO, right? That's the OTO symbol yeah, in a yeah. rocket. So go don't let me just ramble on. Tell us about that. <laughs> this is this is actually my my favorite one. I don't I just I, I like Jack Parsons. I like the whole mythology behind it, the stories, and I like the design too, but yeah, these these towers, you know, go exactly going back to what uh, Thomas had said. Like that's like a real big thing for me. Like the towers of Joaquin and Boaz represent to me, and I know they represent Freemasonry, but like the pillars of duality that hold up reality. So in Jack Parsons' reality, 
you have these beakers of like, you know, he's a scientist, you know, and he's creating all these things. So out of these pillars of his reality, he's creating these all seeing eyes, like, you know, supreme knowledge. And they're like really illuminating this rocket above him. And one of the things that I I really get behind and I really like as far as conspiracy stuff is like the religion of science, you know, like, science is the way science 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 you know so these all-seeing eyes are pointing to this rocket ship this modern marvel of technology and on it is the sun you know and i think i had looked at that reference of like the black sun so you have the play on that but in the middle i have you know this hypnotizing spiral and that hypnotizing spiral just plays on what i was saying like you have this this hypnotizing of the masses of like obey science science is the new religion right. and on the beakers you have like you were saying these these stalemic symbols that's actually called a unicursal hexagram yeah okay that's on the yeah. uh, thoth deck the crowley thoth deck yep, yeah absolutely and the five-petaled flower in the middle just kind of represents a pentacle but what i thought was cool was freighter 137. Have you ever heard of Freighter 137 as far as Crowley? He was this like next prodigy in line after Crowley. He was born in the 50s and he kind of steered the OTO and Thelema in this other direction. He kind of damned Crowley and what he believed in and stuff. So I just thought it was like a cool nod to have the 137 to the freighter 137. He was later called Ebony something. His name was Charles Reese, but I thought that was cool to have that nod in there. And then I have like these connecting tubes, right? These metal connecting tubes to the sun and the moon, you know? So you have that play on esoteric stuff with the sun and the moon, you know, the duality again. And the moon is actually, it's one of the last pictures of Aleister Crowley. And he kind of has his finger outstretched. Like if you look at the photo online or whatever, it's like the shadow behind him too. It's a real creepy picture. Mm. But that was like referring it's like, it's to like, like Nosferatu in a way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But that, but that okay. was like referring to like Crowley's hidden hand on influencing Parsons on stuff. So right now. Couple things stand out for me again synchronistically. Forgive me for forgetting this person's name, but they're probably listening. They're a listener of the show. They reached out to me via email from Rome, Italy, and they happen to be from Springfield, Connecticut. And they're really inspired by Michael Wan's work looking into the Susquehanna River and, you know, me looking into the Connecticut River. He kind of added on to that because he's from Springfield, which is like the Massachusetts part of the Connecticut River. And Jack Parsons is from Springfield, right? This is part of what he sent me in his email, digging up some information. This is what can happen, folks. When you really get involved, you just look in your own backyard, you're going to find stuff. So Jack Parsons grew up in, or at least was born in Springfield, Massachusetts, right? So one of his family members, right, all the way back, back, way back when, ancestors, I should say, in his lineage, was the first witch to ever be uh, mm-hmm. hung in the state of Massachusetts witch trials, right? A woman with the last name Parsons. So there is some weird connections with Jack Parsons. I mean, you know, he's from New England. Crowley loved New England. He was up in, in this part of the U.S., so... 
there's some weird things going on. Yeah, I've never heard that. That's fascinating. And then the other thing that comes up is like you mentioned the butthole thing, right? And like I get it, <laughs> you know, but all jokes aside, people, I don't think this is something I found out recently. I don't know if this is common knowledge, but the discovery of gunpowder, right? Gunpowder was originally uh, made with shit, right? They would take shit and, you you know, basically get the nitrogen somehow out of the, the horse shit or whatever it was. And this is how they invented gunpowder with feces, right? And now you can imagine, wow. you know, gunpowder kind of making its way, getting sort of innovated after innovation after innovation up to the rocket. The rocket is literally like farting out shit i mean like this is what we're talking about here so i don't know if that connects or if i just sound like an idiot right now but i thought that was worth mentioning I know, there's, there's always room for poop jokes no matter what the topic i'm a firm believer in that oh man yeah so yeah this is interesting and people often say rockets are kind of phallic symbols too so there's definitely a lot of oh, yeah. occult stuff we can again another person who we can spend a whole episode talking about but this next one all right so this next one manly palmer hall and i'm not that's not like i do (laughs) kind of remember that from looking through the coloring book but this is someone who i talked about recently with chris knowles really famously referenced i think once you start getting into this community whether it's conspiracy or even just the sort of metaphysical side People talk about Manly Palmer Hall because he was prolific. He wrote about so many different things. So I see how he's included here. And again, this guy, unlike the last one, or Jack Parsons, he is from uh, Canada. So another foreigner here. Tell us about Manly Palmer Hall. So, so this one was my special request. Manly Palmer Hall is uh, a topic of fascination for me. I don't know if I want to go as far as saying like an idol or anything like that, but I think what he represents is taking this esoteric and very obscure, hard to decipher knowledge and putting all the connections together and finding a good artist to sort of illustrate it and put it in chapters in a a very easy, you know, digestible, entertaining way for people. And he was one of the very first that did that. And his lineage, from what I understand, he kind of was fascinated with Albert Pike, who sort of did the same thing in his own way, but in a very, very inaccessible way manner because there wasn't really a template to follow outside of like Helena Blavatsky, but, but Manly Palmer Hall thoroughly to me represents the introduction in an accessible way to all this occult knowledge into Western society. But before that, it was very much like these European secret societies. It was very much dressed in rituals and, and a lot of, you know, like superficial kind of secret handshakes and, and fancy, you know, garments and Manly Palmer Hall, I think he was, he was like a Nikola Tesla of a cult. He kind of just like saw it, you know, he was like Neo just like saw the numbers and knew what all (laughs) that stuff meant to the point where he was just being given, you know, like he was made 33rd degree Mason without actually being a Freemason, just because he knew more about the history of Masonry and the symbolism of Masonry than any of the Masons he came across. It, It was the equivalent of getting like an honorary PhD from some college just because you're an expert in the field. So that to me, that's kind of what he represents. Uh, and that's why he's, he's here with kind of all this regalia. I love <laughs> it. Yeah. I wonder if, you know, Manly Palmer Hall was, uh, was holding back any information and that's why they, you know, made him a part of the 33rd degree Mason. Cause 
Masons because he he kind of you know he definitely does illuminate on a lot of stuff but I will say there are parts of the book that I've read where you know at least secret histories or secret teachings of all ages in particular where you know he kind of gives you just enough to go and do the he, rest he yourself. leads you to the water yeah. and, and hopes that you know where to take it from there I would again I would draw the same correlation to Nikola Tesla where you can read yeah. some of his works, but it's like, he'll get you up to there and tell you the materials and give you some of the formulas. But unless you also have that same level of genius and insight, you know, it's like, I can drop a bunch of tools on your lap, Mark, but it doesn't mean that you're going to go and like fix my sink right away. You know? Right, right, right. right. Agreed. And I'm glad you say that. And I will say I have another book that's probably equally as important, but way uh maybe just the size of one of the chapters from secret teachings his book words to the wise by manly p hall is a great book and it definitely was kind of a reaction to the theosophist spiritualist sort of trickery that was going on not that all of them were involved in trickery but there was this sort of con man aspect to certain like seance sideshow type things that were going on and you see like Manly Palmer Hall kind of warning against getting into spiritual affairs without being very serious about it and, and not taking it for granted or trying to get something out of it. Yeah, I saw him a little bit of like a James Randi in mm. that regard, almost like a like a buster of, of myths in a way. But it, again, I think that was because he knew he knew the power of these symbols and this mythology that people were tapping into maybe they themselves were ignorant to it, that they were using these symbols and uh, using these archetypes in these kind of powerful ways. And uh, yeah, I, th- I mean, I, th- I think that he could kind of like see those machinations at work. So you might say something or the way that you might react or the, the rhetoric that you might be delivering and in, in some speech that you're giving, he might be able to kind of derive, you know, where those um, sources kind of came from and, and where you're going with it. Right. All right. Cool, man. Well, it's, see what the next one holds a lot of cool stuff in this one oh wow okay (laughs) they're gonna get harder and harder they're definitely getting harder and harder all right so i'm thinking like cia i'm thinking it's got to be either like alan dulles or like aldous huxley or someone like that am i wrong you gotta write in two (laughs) oh shit yeah yeah yeah, Aldous Huxley here with just a brave new world. And I mean, this one's very straightforward in the creation. You know, you have these, again, these pillars of his reality that he's talking about in Brave New World with these all-seeing digital eyes on the sides of him and this very, like, 70s and 80s retro towers of technology. And it's coming down into, you know, his message in Brave New World where he's like, you know, we, we, we cannot feel any pain. We have to be happy all the time. Believe in science. Believe in science. So you have this, like, you know, to me, this caution sign that I was going for. But at the same time, it's in the shape of the pyramid of the all-seeing eye, right? And that's all this, like, stuff that's being drawn up through the pillars and, like, projected and given energy to science and the all-seeing eye above them there. So, right. and then you have, like, the pills being the drugs raining, raining behind him, so. Right. We can keep going here. 
So, so it's it's funny that you said Alan Dulles uh, on the previous one because here here's the actual <laughs> Alan Dulles right here. Right on. Okay. Cool. Yeah, and this guy definitely feels more Alan Dulles, whereas Aldous Huxley had that kind of society on the sort of more of the psychological, mental, but like in a more of a, I would say pharmaceutical way it looked with the pills raining down all around and kind of like this insidious psychology of what society could be. Whereas Alan Dulles was more like, no, we're going to just tell people what we want them to hear. <laughs> and and this is how we do it in a convincing way. Right. I mean, am I off yep. there? This is like, we got these big microphones. His, his body is resting on one of these really gross new security camera looking prototype things. I don't know. Yep, yep. Yeah. Go on. And you'll is, notice yeah. too. I'll, I'm not going to go backwards here, but there's also like a developing story that kind of goes with how they're presented. Mm. And one of the things to notice here is that that security camera that you noticed and the CIA star at the top, you're going to start seeing those kind of repeating in some of the following ones in more and more subtle ways to kind of indicate like, here's sort of the grandfather or the the root of what we're considering CIA and MK ultra and right. Rockefeller. So right. everything that comes after him directly is kind of like all of his tentacles reaching out. So you'll, right. you'll see that as we go you through. You see the influences compounding on themselves in a way. I definitely dig that. Now you said there's a CIA star at the top. Can you explain that? I've never is that on their logo when you look at like the CIA's like official whatever you call that their their signpost in the front lawn or whatever that's what's there? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. Wow. Okay. Yep. Is there any occult significance to that that you've seen or maybe you can interpret into that? I don't have my notes on it right here. Absolutely. No. Yeah, 100 yeah. yeah. 100%. Yeah. Like a I've, uh, without going on a complete tangent, there's a really interesting <laughs> theory by Michael Serion. And I don't know if he developed this, but he he kind of emphasized that, that almost all of the military and government agencies have some kind of a star or, or like star and sun and moon symbolism on the uniforms. Think of like a four-star general. They get these four stars on their shoulder. And some of that is to indicate that anyone dies in the service of these stars are essentially these these you know human sacrifices up to the star gods um, up, up above. So wow. there's there's a really interesting theme when you look through like military and and intelligence symbolism whenever they use these kind of star symbols. Absolutely! Wow. All right. Right on. Now you, you really got me at the edge of my seat, and you see the Freemasonic kind of little uh, square and compass on his pipe there, his smoking pipe. Yeah, it, it was a social club, so he kind of represents that in a very, you know, like a, a pipe, you know, smoking social atmosphere. Right <laughs> yeah, and, and just, you know, with the MK Ultra on the left camera, you know, he he was the director at the time. He over, he oversaw the creation of Operation MK Ultra and all that. And then the camera on the right with JFK, you know, Dulles really wanted conflict and war and stuff like that with foreign countries and stuff. And he was a big reason from what I had researched why JFK was off, you know, like because JFK didn't want involved with Cuba. So, you know, that was, that was a very big thing for him that he was involved in through research. And what's funny is just that nod with Rockefeller on the microphones, you know, Rockefeller, like, 
he ended up John D. Rockefeller was a cousin of Dulles. So I just thought that was a cool little nod, you know, with the families and everything to put that on there. So absolutely. All right. So here we go. We got, you know, the golden boy of the last four years, Jeffrey Epstein. Wow. Yeah. And then not to mention Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton. And then I'm going to go and say that the one on the right is Rosa Delora. Oh, no, no, no. Duh, Ghislaine Maxwell, right? There you go. Okay, and then and then yeah. this guy George Soros, right? Or, or... That, no, that's Papa Maxwell. Papa yeah. Maxwell. Okay, I had no idea what he looked like. There he is. So yeah, th- this one. He's the he's the I'm guessing he's the financial backer. Now, what's the significance of the tape underneath Ghislaine's Maxwell? Now, through all my research and stuff like that, Ghislaine was actually supposedly the handler of Epstein and she was, you know, with her dad being the financial backer, Ghislaine was, you know, Ghislaine and Jeffrey's whole operation was surveillance for blackmail, you know? So that's why, that's why the tapes there. Right. Wow. And in this kind of CIA camera, you'll see at the top from that previous one. So now that, now that camera that Alan Dulles was overseeing is now seeing over Epstein here. Yeah, it's reminiscent of like that Charlie from Always Sunny in Philadelphia meme with the red threads on the complicated yes. wall. Yes. You know, you got these three. Yeah, you nailed it. You know, you got these, you know, little point pins in their head <laughs> linking them all together. I love it. It's the classic conspiracy theory aesthetic. Right? Yeah. Right. I, I got yep. it behind me right here, too. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Wow. Okay. And, that's, and that was the whole thing. You know, the Clintons are like tied to the little black book, right? You know, his his book of like blackmail and then the Maxwell's are tied to the camera of surveillance. So that's what was really behind that. So absolutely. Yeah. And then then keeping that going, we've got a a zoom in of Maxwell here. Right. And we got some, some more tape recording looking devices there. We've got (laughs) Epstein as a dog on a leash. (laughs) Not not a comfortable leash at that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's that's the whole, you know, his noose around his neck. And that's that's the whole play on this for me was Ghislaine being his handler, you know. And Thomas, he had this whole rule, right? No <laughs> dicks. No dicks, right? Because when, when I first saw Shane's work, he had a, a, a drawing of, who was a Henry Kissinger, but he was just yeah. made out of like 20 dicks coming out of his face. <laughs> and that was what originally caused me to reach out to him. But when we were working on this, I was like, look, I love that one. And that's why I contacted you. But for the <laughs> record, I don't want any like dicks in the coloring book. So <laughs> I think that's so a very, that very being... astute uh, call to make. I think that's a good call. <laughs> <laughs> now, with that being said, my wife actually gave me the inspiration for this. But uh, supposedly Epstein had an egg shaped dick. So I added that on. He's a wiener dog, right? Ha ha. So on his spots is actually his egg-shaped penis with ejaculant coming out. Oh, okay. Very cute. Yeah, Yeah, very sly. Okay, I got it. But, But yeah, with this one, you really just, again, have surveillance and stuff like that. You know, instead of Sony, you have phony. You know, right. Mm. And then like the the background with her is like a lot of design that they found on uh, that temple 
in Little St. James. So Okay. Damn. Yeah, and that's interesting because they're like those spirals there, which is pointed out in those FBI documents about, you know, people, which I think people go a little too far sometimes because the spiral is such a common symbol. I mean, as an artist, you know, Shane, it's like, come on, the spiral is so easy to draw. You can't call it. Every no, spiral. they're off limits from now on, then. No more spirals and <laughs> artwork. Right, right. <laughs> yes. But yeah. it, it is weird, you know, that they had this kind of, I don't know, it kind of looks like Aztec even, but yeah, anyways. Yeah. That's cool, Cole. Yeah. All right, so... So, yeah, this is Stanley Kubrick. I think it was pretty obvious with the moon sort of in the <laughs> foreground background there in the bottom and then the camera, but... Explain the numbers on his head and and like the idea with the kind of like the bottle down there, the serum one one four. Because these are little notes that I don't think people are gonna possibly uh, catch just because of the you know the quality of the live stream. But but yeah, when you're when you're when you have the coloring book in your hands, is trust me, folks, it's way clearer. But I noticed that when I was looking through, I'm like, what's what's two thirty seven and what's serum one one four. I'll let, I'll let Thomas take uh, control of that. Yes, this one, this is a, a really cool one. And and to, for the record here, Shane was able to kind of like just go out and knock these out on his own. Usually I would have to give like a punch list of, you know, include all these special symbols. I think that Serum 114 was the only one that I think I suggested out of most of the pages. Yeah. Um, so on this one, we see... The 237 is a reference to The Shining, and there's a, a great documentary, I think, called Room 237 that, that sort of breaks down three alternate theories on what The Shining really represented. One of them is that it was about Native American influence and how the U.S. sort of like took them over. But another one was from, I can't remember the guy's name off the top of my head right now, but he's got a video series called Kubrick's Odyssey, and his theory was that in The Shining, he Kubrick made a lot of very nuanced changes from the original source material that Stephen wrote. And one of those differences was that Kubrick changed the hotel room number to 237. And the reason was because there's roughly like 237,000 miles between the Earth and the moon. And this was supposed to be this this inside nod to when there's a scene where Danny stands up and he's wearing the Challenger or, or sorry, the, the Apollo spaceship on his sweater, and he stands up and then he walks directly to that room. And that was supposed to be this symbolic version of Stanley Kubrick creating the Apollo moon landings and sending them to this, you know, this fake room in, in the hallway where it's just kind of like full of lies. So that's the, the 237 here. If you notice, his head is kind of being projected out of this monolith, uh, which is from 2001 Space Odyssey. Another really cool thing from that that uh, series, not the movie, but the guy's full like documentary theory series, is that the monolith to Stanley Kubrick represented, I think, the 22 to 1 cinematic ratio of the film screen. So one of the messages he was trying to bake into this was that cinema kind of had this ability to almost change, you know, these monkeys into humans and, and vice versa, maybe uh, could be this mechanism for like a quantum leap forward. Mm. You got his, his retro style camera here. And as you noticed, it has a little vial at the bottom called serum 114. And this was something that Stanley Kubrick worked into not all of his movies, but a lot of them. So I believe in 
Clockwork, Clockwork Orange, there's one of the things they give him is Serum 114. And in 2001 Space Odyssey, I believe one of the machines that they work with is the, the letters CRM-114. So he kind of like was able to work these, you know, consistent themes into multiple versions of his work. So this is just a nod towards that. I love it. Yeah. And the the monolith, I'm glad you pointed that out because it almost looked like a doorway to me. But yeah, I recently read something about 2001 Space Odyssey and, and how that monolith, it's really interesting. I forget the exact date. I think it was in 2001. A strange, mysterious monolith appeared in a park. It was like Mondelson Park or something. Or, or, oh, oh, yeah. oh, it, yep. Magnuson Park, right? This mysterious obelisk just appeared in Magnuson Park in Seattle. And then, you know, a couple of days later, the police removed it. But this author who I was reading, who talks about 2001 Space Odyssey in his book, Michael Hoffman, he pointed that out and said there's a a strange connection to that movie and the 21st century and them kind of setting the stage of scientism, like you were saying, Shane, this sort of, and it's clearly a theme here. So Serum 114, boom, Clockwork Orange. Okay, I can see that. I, I like that movie. It's definitely a dark movie. I regret <laughs> seeing it at the age that I did, but it definitely <laughs> yeah, shook I, me I, up. I <laughs> if you notice his eyelash here too is is a nod yeah. towards that Clockwork Orange movie. Okay, I was going to say, it almost gave me like a David Bowie kind of a, appearance at first, <laughs> but now I see it. Yeah, it's definitely from Clockwork Orange for sure. And now you have like a sort of it looks like the ISS space wheel or something like that, right? What what this, this was from 2001 Space Odyssey. That okay. was the 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 main ship that the, he was on, the famous scene where he's like running around in big right. circle. Right. Awesome. So, like it's get it's getting fun now too. And I, and I want to just point out like there are going to be this consistent theme if you were to go back and just look at these pages one by one. So, here we kind of have the CIA and the star and the cameras. This is the introduction of cameras into the, all the, the themes. So now as we go by, we've got people that are using the media for influence. And Kubrick is clearly one of those. And the next one up here is Charles Manson, which I think could also be argued was kind of under the guise of CIA, but also took the media by storm, whether it was TV, movies, I mean, even to this day, music. So here's another person that sort of like irrevocably changed American culture forever. Absolutely. Yeah. And you have like the three sort of flunkies that he used to commit that crime, you know, with their various weapons, the, you know, cult members. But yeah, Charlie Manson, definitely a part of him from what I've seen, possibly a part of like these MK Ultra programs, right? He was in the military for some time. He tried his best to be like this sort of pop culture figure and and really failed at that, but he was great at at leading a cult. I believe he was in jail at one point, which is where some of that that MKUltra crossover occurred, where he may or may not have been experimented on as as part of that. There's a, and uh, to, to inject really quick too, there's an awesome series called Sinister Forces, I think, by Peter Lavenda from Trine Day mm. that sort of weaves this whole concept of Charles Manson being this like vessel of almost like dark, chaotic energy that the, right. you know, the powers that be used to sort of inject it into 
the, the free love movement and counterculture. Absolutely. Yeah. I am aware of Peter Lavenda for sure. I think his work is again, you know, up there with guys like Michael Hoffman and, and so on. It's definitely in, it's gotta be in your conspiracy bucket list. If you're going to get into this stuff to look into Lavenda's work, but we could, again, another character for a whole conversation. Let's see who, who comes up next. All right, so now this guy... So we're getting more and more modern as we go. Yeah, this is definitely more timely, I guess, considering what happened at Astro World recently. We got Travis Scott here on the unholy altar of the upside-down cross with these, like, sort of (laughs) devil horns. Almost reminds me of, uh, what's the other guy, Uh, Little Nas X, right, when he does that lap dance video on the devil (laughs) with the horns, right? Yeah. Yeah. Hip hop culture, yeah, this, man. This one really was. I mean, yeah, you're right. It's very, very timely. But this one was again just playing on that whole his background that he was he was performing in front of. You know, the the portal to hell, right? You know, these mountains of of orgon energy that he's like siphoning into his all seeing eye of Saturn on top, right? And then you have the skulls representing like the deaths fueling this this whole ritual supposed ritual and then yeah you know his connection to the devil or whatever with the devil face you have saturn you have the questionable spiral of hypnotization or child you know whatever and and then you have the astros too because from what i am he had this at the astrodome correct right so you have that then again just you know the compass and scale of of Freemasonry down there, you know, so just the whole play on secret societies, knowledge, you know, whatever, nefarious stuff, so. Absolutely. Yeah, man. This one is is for sure unique. I like it. <laughs> I think it's uh, it's definitely interesting with the, the skulls there, like uh, sucking <laughs> the, the fluid from the skull's third <laughs> eye or something. Yeah, if you, yeah, you see this one, the all-seeing eye at the very top. Um, is actually also sort of like the, the planet Saturn with this ring going around it, emitting all of the, you know, the organ energy that Shane was mentioning. Right. So here we go. We're, now we're into modern media for sure. And instead of going up the entertainment and pop culture route, we kind of, this is where the crossroads is. Definitely. Yeah. Oh, Anderson, Anderson Cooper is, is quite a character. I, I think he, he has a house in the state that I live in and I've driven by that neighborhood. It's very, very, very wealthy. You know, you don't <laughs> big money. He's not like the common man's media, uh, you know, and that's the sad thing is people look at these people like they're normal people and like, oh yeah, we can trust them. But with someone like Anderson Cooper, like I've seen it, you know, his, well, his, how many friends do you know that, that personally have gone and interned at the CIA during like one of their <laughs> college summer jobs? Right. Right. That's right? already a very small subset of people that many of us are never even going to come in contact with knowingly. Right. <laughs> and then you yeah, have yeah, this. this one. Go ahead. Go ahead, Mark. Go ahead. Well, I was going to point out that you have this, uh, it says like Retlaw is something, but I, I kind of put it together it's walter disney backwards i like that very interesting there exactly it's sort of now uh, when i first created this mark 
I knew that I would have, I would have, you know, Thomas being like, we can't do that, man. But these televisions were originally, you know, the, the media outlets that you think they are, you know? So with that, it's definitely a play on Walt Disney, you know, just his name backwards with like a rudimentary castle. You have the play on CNN, CIA, you know, Fox News, fake news, and ABC just being the end of the alphabet, X, Y, Z. And I, I really enjoyed this one too, you know, with Gloria Vanderbilt being his mother. I don't know what magazine it was in. I, I, they did a whole, you know, expose or not expose, but like, whole thing on on Gloria Vanderbilt's family and they have this family photo of Anderson his brother you know his mysterious death as well people should check that out but you have him his his brother and his mother all on his childhood bedroom and she's an artist of questionable uh creations but her little display or whatever in the background of one of these pictures is actually I used for the bottom of this whole thing, which is this angel overseeing this sacrifice in a box, right? You know, the, these things maybe being a flame or, or whatnot with this, the, again, the sun and the moon, this esoteric stuff. So that's really at the bottom you have, Operation Mockingbird, you know, they're on the side with like, obey, 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 <laughs> you know, and then everything on top of this brain, it's not even inside himself because he's not fully in control of, of his faculties. You know what I mean? Like, so then, and then like I was saying to Thomas, like I was, I just tried to sneak this all seeing eye triangle type of deal in there. So I was like, you know, it's cool. A little birthday party hat with a fuzzy on top. So. <laughs> Right on. Yeah, and for I noticed, sure. I want to mention, too, that since it's a coloring book, if you want, this could be a mockingbird or it could be a bluebird, as you mean, <laughs> uh, Project Bluebird. <laughs> yeah. So here we go. Here's another <laughs> news announcer on the other end of the spectrum, but sort of in a similar pool. Right. Right, yeah. and you have the sort of a sort of nod to Bill Hicks there. You got the gay frogs. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> the gay frogs when honestly when i was creating them i was like we're just gonna go for like really happy like really just out there happy frogs you know representing you know gay frogs but uh, but as i was drawing the one on the left and his fist raised i was like you know who that looks like freddie mercury right <laughs> so i drew him as freddie mercury and then i was like well who's who else was like a big gay icon of the 70s rock star stuff i was like elton john so i made the other one on the right elton john so love it and then we have a very interesting i don't know it's kind of like a it's like a microphone but it's also kind of shaped in a certain way what's the significance there with the microphone that was really just you know, a lot of people with the conspiracy of Alex Jones being Bill Hicks, you know, you have this whole like, okay, well, is is he controlled opposition? Okay, you have that all the time. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to do this old school microphone in the shape of almost like a star, like a pentagram type of deal. Like, okay, is he? And that's where that play on instead of info wars, you have miss info wars on the bottom so i was just kind of like trying to play into that conspiracy as well right right on yeah cool man 
All right, now we got Mr. Ike, David Ike, who I think is, has been in this game for a very long time. Very strange story behind how he woke up, famously like a head injury and then some ayahuasca experiences. And he, he wrote all of his books in, you know, a very short amount of time. And he's been, you know, a big figure. I mean, you mentioned how you heard the... I think it was oh somebody I forget you mentioned him before that you heard oh used in a like a rap song clip and that was David Ike for me you know End of Days by Vinnie Paz I remember hearing David Ike's voice at the beginning of the song and just thinking like where are they getting these clips from I gotta get it <laughs> like I gotta find this stuff and this is so I'm, I was in middle man. school like every you know? video he put out is like a seven hour monologue so yeah <laughs> absolutely I mean I, in middle school I had no idea that he existed but only through that song and yeah I'm glad I I finally found out but we have this sort of almost like a griffin looking British looking dragon around the moon there what's what's that about that's actually an old illustration of the constellation of uh, Draco, right? Which okay. that's where Ike says these reptilians come from. So I just oh. thought it was kind of cool to have it wrapping around the moon. This whole piece I was kind of telling Thomas, you know, drawing all of these in succession, you know, one after the other, you know, you have, at least for me, I have ideas of what I want to do. And then it kind of gets like that idea is so obsessing at the time, you know, like, oh man, this is what I want to put on. And you, and you kind of forget about it as you start on other projects. But this one, I was really going for, you know, reptilians really siphoning the organ energy off of humans. So I went with the sun moon matrix, right? Which I think Ike has talked about before too. So I really went with, draco wrapping around the moon and the moon being this prison of the soul you know like so that's why i did draco wrapping around the moon like that and you kind of have this like organ energy radiating radiating off of the shoulders of ike into i don't know if you can tell or not but i went with like a male and a female too you know duality I went with a mm. male and female reptilian siphoning the energy and these symbols on their head are alchemical plays on the symbols of life and death. So you have this with the sun and the moon and life and death and the tongues kind of imprisoning his third eye. You kind of have this play on like this cycle and repeating cycle of the sun moon matrix and the reptilian siphoning off energy. So, right. Yeah, I and I should point out that unlike uh, a couple of the more, you know, grim portrayals, David is kind of point, like pictured in a, a more positive light. He's got like a peace symbol on his jacket there. Yeah. It doesn't seem yep. like he, unlike, you know, maybe some of the other people you drew, like he's not clearly a bad person, right? Whereas the other no. people had kind of like symbols that might make you think twice, maybe besides Tesla, David Icke seems to be kind of painted in a good light here. So that's radical. I like it. I yeah. think David yeah. deserves that, right? He, he's definitely yes. on the level of Alex Jones where you're like, hmm, what's up with this guy? But I don't know if he's, you know, ever retracted his statements quite like Alex Jones has. So we'll give him that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so this, I'm going to say, is it Bill Cooper or 
Oh, yeah, you got it in yeah. one, man. Right? So we got the apocalypse horse, right? The horseman of the apocalypse. This yeah, the, horse the here. nod to uh, Behold the Pale Horse. Yeah, okay. Seminal work. Right. Behold the Pale Horse. Thank you. Yes. Right. Love uh, it. I got to take, take a leak quick. So you guys you guys talk about Cooper This here. is actually it's a good chance to take a quick break because I do, I do need to grab a, a drink of water before I start sounding crazy over here. So hold on a second. I'll I'll take a, a second to Tom. Right on, right on. Pause. Audience, stick with us, folks. All right, don't worry. My family thinks some crazy podcast is live. I'll be right back. Thank you for sticking around, live audience. We are still here. <laughs> Shane just got back, but Tom is back now too. All right. So we were, we were talking about William Cooper here, and uh, behold the pale horse, and I'll, I'll let Tank Shane take away some of the other the details that he worked in. Yeah. So you know, with Bill Cooper, you know his his big his big magnum opus of behold a pale horse. Okay. So obviously you have this decaying horse with the symbol of the white rose from, I don't know what, ver- the most popular version of the tarot deck. You have this symbol that death carries on his pole with, with his emblem there as the white right. rose. And that's really, that, I know in the tarot deck, that's like a purification through transformation. So I just wanted to include that with being pale horse, being death. You have this decaying horse and you have, the scythes, you know, that's just more symbolism of death. And then you have at the bottom there with these like flames arching over Bill. And like I said to Thomas, you know, I'm really big fan of Carl Wood. So Greg always talks about the oily appendages of the elite. So I really did like these tentacles coming out of, you know, to me, it was just a symbol I had, or like a shape I had found of a pyramid, but it's like this repeating pyramid, right? So you have this repeating pyramid, almost like this cycle has always been going on, like the elites, the all-seeing eye, whatever. They've always been kind of trying to weave their little oily appendages through stuff. So you have this sacrificial flames and stuff. But then again, you have Bill Cooper with a bullet hole in his head. You know, people go and research that like he was gunned down, you know, at his home, whether it was, you know, he provoked it or not. He was. He might have shot first, yeah. (laughs) Exactly, yeah, exactly. So you have that, and then you have these little two UFOs above the sites. That was kind of my play on, you know, when Bill Cooper first came out, he wasn't preaching, you know, what he was in Behold a Pale Horse. He was kind of like a disclose. He was like a euphonaut, right? He was disclosing 
the alien agenda and UFOs and stuff like that, which he ra- later recanted. But that's my that's my like little nod to that. So, and I'll point out a nice detail of that too. Of that that kind of marked this this midpoint in his, I guess, if you want to call it a career, because he when he recanted that he sort of disclosed that he was working with naval intelligence to implant these, you know, this misinformation about UFOs out into the public um, sphere. So the, the note that he's got these oily appendages up above him, maybe (laughs) controlling him in a subtle way is, is kind of out of there intentionally. Damn. Yeah. And you know, that's the suspicion I get as much as I love the UFO community and the, the people that are in it. There are too many folks at the top. They just make you think twice, you know, and I, I definitely like discussing that on my show, but when it comes to UFOs as a sort of a political talking point, you know, anytime the government's trying to tell you anything, it's like, oh yeah, we got to take this with a big grain of salt and Bill Cooper. They open up the blue book and they go to the page and they start reading it off. Right. (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) So here, here's one of my special requests and favorites. Jordan so Maxwell. Yeah, I don't know if Shane knew as much about Jordan Maxwell going into this, but he does now. Right and shout out to Jordan. He's still alive. I heard recently he wasn't doing too good. He had a, some sort of health issue. So thoughts and prayers to Mr. Maxwell. He is, yeah, definitely. Like what you were mentioning before, my first introduction to sort of conspiracy theory in general was a quote from Jordan Maxwell. That's what it was, I right? I think it was on a... On a, a Wu Tang affiliate mixtape song with RZA, and at the very end, it's Jordan Maxwell talking about the Illuminati and and sort of this like sun moon symbolism, and it right. that burrowed itself into my head. So right. when I came across his actual speech years later, you know, I, I became immediately fascinated because I had been hearing this quote for you know years in the back of my head, and I finally put a face to it in all the context. Yes, I love that feeling, and there are so many interesting voices. You know, Michael. To Sarion, someone you mentioned earlier, yep. I had that same revelation, I'll call it, while listening to an interview with him. I'm like, oh, damn, I've heard this guy before in rap songs. Like, you know, him, David Icke, and Jordan Maxwell all have these unique cadences to their voices that are just, yeah, kudos and, to those and Jordan guys. Jordan Maxwell in particular is a really fascinating one because he himself is very, he emphasizes the the enunciation of words and, and how like words correlate to different things. And he's big, I would almost say like taking puns very seriously, where if two words sound the same, he won't just make a joke out of it. He'll start drawing in all these correlations and, you know, different translations of words and the etymology of words. He, he was one of the first people that got me into that, that nerdy mm. um, sort of <laughs> hobby of like finding a word and then trying to find out all the, you know, the etymology roots of that word. And I, I mean, I, I just nothing but admiration and respect for Jordan Max. And I also want to throw out, it's funny on like the whole underground hip hop correlation here that he was, He's a visitor on Kill a Priest has a podcast and he's got a really long, great episode where Kill a Priest just talks to Jordan Maxwell. And I, I think it's recent. It's like within the last year, highly worth checking out. Yeah. I like Kill a Priest. I would definitely. I, I saw it and I was like, Kill a Priest, Jordan Maxwell in one video. Yeah. Google finally has me kind of locked down in my demographic. <laughs> yeah. I'll throw the link to that in the episode description. I hope people check that out. Right on. Yeah, Jordan Maxwell definitely deserves a place. Is there any significance to 
the symbols that are kind of circling behind him, or are those what what's what's up with those? Some of Again, them I kind of recognize, like, but like the one on his left shoulder, or at least his uh, to our left, is on. I don't know what that is, but I've seen it before. Yeah, a lot of the symbols, you know, like Thomas was saying, like I think the only interview I had ever heard Jordan Maxwell on was uh, the one that Sam had done with him, to be honest. And a lot of those symbols, you know, his his that's his like bread and butter what he's very knowledgeable in i just tried to include a lot of alchemical symbols so like you know you have the, the alchemical symbol for sulfur salt earth copper saturn you have the upside down cross you have the sun and the moon you know so a, a lot of that and the i think like the two symbols on his right were like amalgamations of like just what i thought aesthetically looked good for those so they're like i think the triangle with the like cross on the bottom is like a makeup of like mercury and you know something else like a like a four element symbol so okay cool he, he was a fun one man I, I i absolutely loved him it was it was a lot harder to get a lot of the visuals in here because he very much is into wordplay and and a lot of people if they don't they're not familiar with his work. He's really big on like maritime law and the correlations of maritime law. But I don't, I don't know if like having little anchors and boats would have conveyed that. It, it was such a niche, you know, little reference that we kept it a little more generic for him. And but I want to say Shane, like as soon as this comes up, you know exactly who it is. So he like he nailed the likeness you know, in an uncanny way for this. Definitely, yeah, for sure. I I can picture him being interviewed by. Uh, past guest donut and he looked just like that (laughs) (laughs) so they're gonna get a little bit harder yeah all right so this (laughs) this is hmm i don't know i might have to throw in the towel on this one this is uh, this is a tough one so this one is ted gunderson who was an ex uh, FBI right, yeah, I've seen or, a or YouTube video contractor of his, and he yeah. largely gave credit to the Satanic Panic movement of kind of the '80s. He was a, a very central figure, and and one of the figures that you know he carried around that weight of being associated with the FBI. So here's a whole bunch of psychologists and just like normies screaming about Satanic Panic, but then this guy comes up and talks about you know I came from FBI task force. And I also believe in it and would kind of go on these, these routes. So again, he kind of had this, uh, a massive impact on American culture. Absolutely. Just because of his role in that. And you see a lot of that satanic panic imagery in this, this uh, page here. Now the two people pictured behind him, who, who are they? So this is kind of his origin story. I'll let Shane describe them. Post FBI, he was called in as a professional and kind of witness and investigator. This, the guy on his left, that's Jeffrey McDonald. And he was a doctor in the military, in the Marine Corps. He was, in 1970, he was convicted of killing his wife and his two children. But as Ted was brought in on this, the woman on his right, Helena Stockley, she came forward and confessed. You know, McDonald was saying he was always... I mean, even till his death, he was really professing his innocence and the satanic cult that had come in and, and, and been the perpetrator of this crime. And Stockley at the time, 
Gunderson obtained these affidavits of her confession that her and a satanic cult had come in and murdered McDonald's family, right? And then she went back and forth for a while, too. She, she confessed. Then she recanted and said, no, 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 like, I was just lying, blah, blah, blah. But then on her deathbed, which is funny, she died real young. She was 31. She, on her 31-year 30, deathbed, she recanted again and said, yes, what I said about the satanic cult and all that stuff was true. So I kind of have her on both sides, Ted kind of looking to McDonald like, fuck, help me, man, you know, like, you know, there's a satanic cult and now they're after me too, you know, like this. And then above uh, McDonald, you have the sword with the snake, which is the representation of him being the sacrifice of this satanic cult. And then above Stockley's head, you have the cup, right? The offering to Satan. So I kind of did the play on that. Below Ted, you kind of have the sigil a Baphomet kind of representing, you know, the whole satanic panic, like Thomas was saying. And then on the top of his head, when he died, Gunderson and Gunderson's doctor, Gunderson died of bladder cancer and his doctor and Ted had kind of proclaimed that it was arsenic poison. So that's why I have the bottle of arsenic above his head. So. Yeah, wow, so I if, did if not. If you're unfamiliar uh, with Ted Gunderson, just Google his name and a few of the, the yeah. videos of him well, talking. Well, even the McDonald's story, I had no idea about. Maybe I've heard of it once, but it didn't come to mind. And you encapsulated this whole story in this image. I love it. And I'm glad you're able to explain it here because I'm sure there are people who are going to buy the coloring book and color this in and be like, oh, yeah, it's a lady and a dude. And, and this guy, <laughs> Ted Gunderson, it says his name's Ted Gunderson. And then they might look him up. But yeah, this is I mean, this is a hell of a story. It definitely, again, deserves a whole episode in and of itself. You guys are really making the next couple months for me really easy. I'm just going to color these <laughs> in and get inspired to talk about all this stuff on the show. And I know too that we've got that similar pillar where you've got the masculine on the left and the feminine pillar on the right of Jack and Boaz, right. um, just as this constant theme. Right. Wow. Yeah. So, okay. So, so well, I just want to preface this too. This is kind of the, the lead up and, and run into the satanic panic and so the, I gotta, the intersection into popular media. I got to give a shout out to my homie one-on-one from, or Juan from yeah. the one-on-one -on -one podcast right now, because me and him, we talked earlier and I was like talking to him about the coloring book and I'm like, bro, what is this? They have Moloch in here. I thought Moloch was an owl. And and uh, Juan, to your credit, to your credit, Thomas, Juan was like, no, bro, trust me. He's like, just ask Paranoid American about it. The student knows his shit. He'll tell you left, right, and front how this is the Canaanite Moloch. So uh, unless we're on Baphomet right now, but this is Moloch, right? This is a Canaanite yes, Moloch. Yes, it is Moloch. So yeah, you can you can tell because of this sort of. This yeah. like oven yeah. sort of uh, <laughs> for sure. sort of child burning. <laughs> yeah, and yeah let me just dark. go on a, on a quick tangent because this is one of like, you know, you've got like hipsters and like comic book nerds that'll go on a big rant in a comic convention about, you know, how this like lore doesn't match up. My go to nerd out sort of like for you to death talking about it is that when Alex Jones broke into Bohemian Grove in I think the late 90s and he recorded the cremation of care on video. At some point, either in that video or in like a post analysis, 
he proclaims that the owl that they were worshiping was Moloch. And because of that one statement that he made in that one video, it sort of like reverberated through the internet. And right. now a lot of people mistakenly correlate an owl with Moloch when, when in fact the owl has its own name within the Bohemian Grove Club. I don't know its its name right now. It's something silly, you know, it's not like, it's not something nefarious, but the, the owl more than likely is a symbol of Minerva, which is then derived from this whole Hegelian dialectic philosophy because Hegel was really into Minerva's owl. And through this long chain of, you know, interconnected things, the, the Bohemian Grove, uh, a lot of the philosophers and the philosophy of the people in it they sort of likened a lot of their thoughts to Hegel. So this kind of all transferred over and the fact that they found this, this big owl, you know, rock formation as it was just looked like that. So they were like, you know, we like owls, this thing looks like an owl and it kind of just turned into the symbolism of that. So anyways, that's my thing that I geek out and, and it really just irritates me when someone sees an owl and they're like Moloch or, Dude, or vice versa. So. I'm so glad you pointed that out. Cause yeah, like I said, I mistakenly said that to Juan and he was kind enough to clarify and I'm glad you're clarifying it here for the audience because so you know, so the cremation of care which happens at Bohemian Grove where they kind of have this quote-unquote mock uh, human effigy and they burn it the it's sort of this this magical ritual where care is literally representative of like their cares of the world and when they burn it they're sort of like burning their cares so that they can like re-enter the world outside of their little club kind of with a clean slate you know all their worries and all of their their sort of evils of the previous year they kind of just wash off their back in this cremation of care and the fact that they burn this human effigy that's the only real link to this moloch sort of imagery where they used to burn children it's it's a very loose connection but that that's the connection that most people latch on to right right on so I'll, yeah. I'll go off my tangent yeah. here we can talk about the artwork now <laughs> <laughs> yeah, th this one was definitely just, you know, like you had said, Mark, about the Canaanite god of child sacrifice, and also in the Carthaginian period of him being used as child sacrifice. But uh, also, a lot of this imagery that I used and, and, and references was actually the statue that the Vatican actually had put in. They put this big statue of Moloch in vatican city so that's where a lot of like his hands with the questionable symbols in the palms and the wings in the background right a lot of that comes you know his headpiece too a lot of that comes from this statue in vatican city and with this one you know thomas was like you know <laughs> being Amer american paranoid american you know let's keep this american so his influence obviously was like USDA choice, okay? So with that, it's like referring to like, okay, the Shadowman government, like that's that's their preferred choice of sacrifice is child sacrifice. So USDA choice on his forehead is like a brand too of like him being a cow, beef, you know? And then this child being burnt, you know, that was American as well. Like I'm like, okay, well, what's, what's American enough that people would understand? So I don't know if you noticed, but <laughs> the child is being burned with Crocs on. So to me, like Crocs was a very American shoe choice. So that's, that's what went behind that. So. 
Indeed, yeah. We'll go on to our next deity, too. <laughs> Baphomet. Right on. Yeah, this is clearly a little more obvious with, you know, Baphomet, kind of a more, like, a creepier portrayal of him. You know, we saw this sort of Baphomet sigil before, but behind him we got the towers, all this kind of, these oil derricks below him. Uh, very kind of Americana. What's with the the angel wings? Is it actual Baphomet have angel wings? I'm just forgetting. Yeah, there's a lot of paintings and stuff with him with angel wings. Okay. And I, I tried to do the angel wings as like tattered American flags. You know, you kind of see that like separation of the stars and stuff, you know, halfway up the wings or like three-fourths up the wings with like the stripes and stuff. So I gave him American flags as wings, you know, another thing to Thomas's benefit too, or to his whatever, you know, he really wanted these, these pictures to be of Americana and with Baphomet, you know, these American flag wings and with his hands of as above, so below, you know, instead of aesthetically, instead of a hamburger, in his hands, I did a hot dog, you know, that's very American. So in his right hand being, a hot dog, and then in his left hand, you know, so below that you have soft drinks, you have soda, right? So you have the Leviathan cross again on the soda, you know, referring again to, you know, satanic stuff or whatever. So you have that, you have cigarettes in his mouth. To me, that's very American, you know, the whole tobacco industry. So I have a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. Now, in the middle of Baphomet, in the middle of his forehead, if I'm not mistaken, it was either a pentagram or a star, but instead, you know, Garrett going the Americana route, I thought McDonald's, right? <laughs> so you have the right side up and upside down, you know, being very ritualistic, occult choice of McDonald's. So I have that. You have the crown of the Statue of Liberty, which which to me, that's just referencing the cult of Mithra, right? The goddess of light. So you have her crown, okay, very American. Like you said, Mark, you have the oil derricks on the bottom, you know, like a George Bush era. I mean, even before that, but like our, our incessant need of fucking oil. And then you have the pillars of Joaquin and Boaz, right? I mean, Sam's done a ton of awesome episodes on that where like, you have these ritualistic towers, right, being burnt down and crashed into, and they're, like, burning into the logo of Lockheed and Martin, you know, because to me, at that time, you know, this is very personal to me because of 9-11 and being that age of getting into conspiracies like Lockheed and Martin. Like, we went into this war like, oh, guess who it makes a bunch of fucking money for? Lockheed and Martin, weapons manufacturers. So that, that's what I kind of went with that, so. Right on. Yeah, man. Uh, this is definitely, that's probably the first one I'm going to color in, to be honest. So, all right. So next, next, I want to point out, you guys don't have this labeled as Ronald McDonald for obvious reasons, but this is, this is the clown, the very clown. And it's kind of obvious. The clown king is what we've got him labeled as, the clown king. Right, right, right. And you know what? It's so interesting in hindsight, like looking at all this stuff that like, they use the clown symbol and it's one of the most famous, if not most prolific companies in American food history, right? To go around the globe and give this huge impression of what America is. And it's like this clown trickster kind of symbol. It's weird. Yeah. 
this is definitely uh, America, America's God, right? It's one of our American gods, mythos, you know, like, and with this one, I was really just trying to emphasize like the, the whole sketchy food industry and Monsanto, you know, like you have these big barrels, chemi- questionable chemicals that is connected to the French fries, which, you know, French fries, I put cigarettes, you know, again, this Americana, like big tobacco, you know, Philip Morris. So put, put the cigarettes as the French fries, right? Addiction, right? So, and then on the right, you have the soft drink being, have this, this medical syringe of chemicals or whatever being pumped in to like being a poison. And then you have uh, the all seeing burger mutant eye that's like <laughs> coming out of the hair and top of the head of Ronald McDonald. And, and I'll uh, point out too, the little hamburger totally looks like, like the old, uh, metal death traps they used to have in the front of the McDonald's <laughs> like play pens. <laughs> right. So like you have all that. And then to me, like the symbols, you know, obviously we couldn't go with having McDonald's logo and stuff. So that was my whole play on like, you know, you have the Leviathan cross, right. Which is evil. You have the upside down McDonald's M and then, you know, to America's detriment, you have McDonald's being this almost religion, right? It's religious, you know, like I remember as a kid, this is just a tangent, but as a kid, my mom would, that's how I would get rewarded. You know, if I went somewhere and did good, I would go to, oh, we can go to McDonald's to get a happy meal, right? So it's that religious thing of uh, that I was c- trying to portray there too, so. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and it's funny to note that McDonald's, you talked about the play pens, but they're kind of known for all these like statues that they put out. At least the one in my hometown, there's a bench inside of the restaurant where there's like a clown Ronald McDonald statue that you can like sit next to. And this is before like cell phone cameras and stuff. So they wasn't like just something that people put in to take their picture next to. You no, know? This, this was a way to like manifest a mascot into physical space exactly. so that, you know, that kid could like bond with a physical you know, like the actual character was there at the shop that they wanted to go and see. Right. It's no different than when you go to, you know, your average town green or even like a government building and you see all of these, you know, statues out of marble or what have you, you know, kind of anchoring these spirits into that place. And yeah, there's definitely a lot of dark energy with this clown, but with, you know, time in mind, let's kind of skip through. And I don't want to go, maybe we shouldn't go through all of them because we do want to give people a little right. bit of mystery when they buy it themselves and, and they can check them out. So maybe if you want to fast forward to like your favorites that you definitely can't like miss, you know, we have to touch on. I mean, I'll say one of my favorites for sure was this one, Bill Gates, but then went past it. Yeah, tell me which one. We'll start with your favorite ones. All right. Henry Kissinger was my favorite, and I'll tell you why. Because I recently learned that, like Anderson Cooper, Henry Kissinger also lives uh, in the same state as me, which is, you know, (laughs) famous for being, like, a wealthy place, like, but... I'll tell you what, it's not all wealthy, but where Henry lives is definitely so. And I thought, you know, maybe we could like take a 
a copy of these and like just copy photocopy like hundreds of them and just put them all over the town that he lives in just to just to <laughs> rub it in cool, his yeah. face. Well, I mentioned too that the original image that I met Shane over was a version of this, but right. it was his face made completely out of dicks. So I would, I would actually opt for that one if you're going to plaster them all over town. Oh, damn. Yeah, yeah. That would be dope. Yeah, please send me that. So tell me a little bit about Henry Kissinger. Another, he's got kind of like a strange formation behind him. I'm not sure what uh, symbol that is, but he's got like the scales, money, and and a pen, right? 33 is there, candles. What, what's going on with this one, Shane? This one was really, I mean, like Thomas had said, I had done this one. I fucking hate Henry Kissinger. This one was really the scales of justice being just his control over the laws, right? The laws of the land and his really, his big, his big part in foreign policy, right? You know, you have that quote of, and it's in this ancient quote of like, the pen is mightier than the sword. So, you know, in Kissinger's case, you have, you know, the two things balancing his scales of justice is his pen, right? Which is mightier than the sword. You know, that's him writing foreign policy in the seventies and like really being influential in, in governing and laws and stuff like that. Because like Thomas had said, you know, the way that the format goes with these pictures you know, there's a reason to it. And when it gets to Kissinger and like Soros being next after this, it's really the control over the government now and Kissinger really being a big player in that. And, you know, the pen being mightier than the sword, you have it on his left, left-hand path, right? On his right, right-hand path, you have money, right? Which is his other control, right? Financial stuff. And that's why I went with like the scales of justice. And, in Freemasonic doctrine, you know, and I think, I think honestly, like symbols in general, flames and candles, like that's illuminating something that's important. So to me, when I created, I wanted the candles kind of like, you know, balancing, like illuminating these two tools of his, of his power, of his success or whatever. And the 33 just being that master number, that really very occult number. So, and his ball sack nature was just me kind of like getting angry, getting angry at Thomas for not being able to have dicks. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to draw him like the saggiest ball bag I can. So I drew, I, so I really made him I sagtastic. And the symbols behind him was just kind of like an amalgamation of occult symbols. So that really wasn't, that's not like a purposeful symbol that was just kind of playing on that. And I'll point out too, again, the, the Jack and Boaz symbology where on the left, you've got this sort of pen that would, you know, insert itself and initiate in action. <laughs> and then you've got on the right, you've got the silver, the, the flow, the currency, which kind of represents that feminine uh, energy. So again, the, the, as far as you want to look into this, you can keep finding all sorts of other ones. So I, I want to go to my favorite one outside of the Manly Palmer Hall, but it's probably Jim Jones. He's he's one of the guys that I think I learned about the the first and started uh, getting into like the CIA connections, and it, it kind of like lit a bunch of bulbs for me. I and mean, he's always been just a topic of fascination. He's like my you know if you have like your favorite cult leader, I think Jim Jones is probably my favorite <laughs> cult leader. And so this one, he's got, you know, the, the hammer and sickle. So we've got like this communist version of uh, the Kool-Aid man because, you know, he, he passed out Kool-Aid or flavor aid at the camp. And we've got this bottle of pills that might be coming from the CIA. 
it's kind of raining down on him with death. So this this is definitely one of my favorite ones. And and I, w- I will say really quick, I will interject. It actually was Flavor-Aid, which was kind of reintroduced to my mind through HP Shovecraft, which is with the Strange Brew prod- podcast with Juan and everything. He brought up, he's like, what a we're, no Flavor-Aid guy? And I remember uh, to bring another kind of like, you know, name drop or whatever, uh, last podcast on the left, that was like a big... You know, they're very good at their their whole series and, and research and stuff. And I remember, okay, well, that kicked back the flavoring guy. But, you know, so I just wanted to throw that in there. Yeah. <laughs> now, who's this Leo guy on the, on the tombstone? For those who aren't fully aware of this whole case and what happened, you guys have nodded to a lot of really cool stuff in the past ones you've shown me. And it seems like uh, Leo is significant somehow. I, I want to inject here too, before Shane answers you about who Leo was, but one of the ideas here too, is that if you're actually going to sit down and color this, there's a good chance you're going to be staring at this for an hour, maybe two hours. So you won't just be casually looking through and picking this up. Someone's going to be staring at that RIP Leo. So the, the intent is to hopefully spark um, some sort of interest and maybe someone will go online and search right. Jim Jones, Jonestown, Leo, and they'll find all kinds of cool, you know, rabbit holes to, to go down. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Leo, that's Leo Ryan. And he was a, if I'm, if I'm correct, he was a congressman or a senator that he flew down to Jonestown right before Jim went nuts and did his his mass sacrifice and everything they started drinking the kool-aid and uh, he went down to kind of be the buffer and to see what was going on in jonestown and uh, he as he was going back to his plane jim jones had sent assassins if you will with automatic weapons and like just gunned down leo in his airplane and everything like that so you know, Leo, to me, with the RIP Leo, he was this, like, force of good, this force of light that was coming down in a very altruistic way to, you know, see what was going on, to, you know, maybe save Jim from his 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 dark ways, and he got... Well, and part of that, too, so. is, is Leo was going to be the liaison to bring um, home people that didn't want to be there anymore, because there was this sort of unspoken thing that that uh, jim jones was like well if they want to leave they can leave so leah was there to be like all right well you know here we are i'm here to, to talk to everybody in person to see what they really think outside of the the microphone of just jim jones being the filter between everyone and yeah. so leo kind of represents like not, not only did everyone there die from suicide or being forced to drink poison but you know there were also people that were just shot to death because they weren't allowed to leave right and and you know, for people who aren't aware of the full details of the case, yeah, this is a awesome tool to get them to dive in. But here we are now, and I, I speculate that maybe this is obviously set up this way. You know, this Jim Jones character didn't just come out of the woodwork and do this all out of his own mind. You know, I feel like now, you know, this set the stage for where we are now where people can't go off and build their own commune and do their own thing for maybe humanitarian reasons, not communist reasons. I'm not endorsing anything like that, but it just put a whole stink on the idea of anybody creating uh, an alternative community outside of mainstream society. You know, they like kind of weaponized this story and they do that in all these different ways, you know, controlled, 
opposition. You know, there's all these stories of people who go down to Costa Rica for a vacation and then they get sucked into some, you know, hippie cult and they say goodbye to their family and never return, you know, and I'm sure, (laughs) um, yeah, I'm sure there's some truth to it, but there's also a lot of rumors and, and fear. So yeah, this one's great. So this one and, is, and right around here, we won't go into all of them, but there's a couple of cult leaders that come after Jim Jones. So right. we've got Marshall Applewhite from Heaven's Gate, <laughs> Pope, arguably could be the head of a cult. Cult on your stands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we've got a little reptilian queen here. We've got Rothschild because you have to. We've got Soros. And what what was one of the other favorite ones that you said you liked, Mark? So we touched on Henry Kissinger, which was my favorite. And then we had, I liked Bill Gates for sure, which you just put up. So Bill Gates, obviously, this is actually a a funny one because when Shane first sent it to me, it was everything except for, I think, the lapel pin here. And it was, it was a a funny (laughs) moment because I think there's like maybe like six years between us, not a whole lot, but. My, I mean, my original memories of Bill Gates was in the mid nineties when everyone was talking about, you know, evil inside, Intel inside and how windows was like the next coming and the mark of the beast was, you know, like you getting a computer with like a a chip in it that had this unique identifier and everything. So to me, Bill Gates always represented this like satanic computer guy and to, to a lot of other people that might have grown out up outside that time or just weren't into computers in the 90s, he represents like this doctor coronavirus guy, which is so, <laughs> it's so weird. They're like in, in such different fields, but I guess they do have that, that virus between them. Yeah, literally, you know, computer virus and then, you know, a virus in the real world that gets us all into the transhumanist computer speculative of course but i see where you're going and i love it i go there myself all the time but shane you had uh, a favorite you want to touch on i mean i'm sure you love them all you created them but is there any that you would hate to leave out before we get going here yeah i mean you have it up right now mark zuckerberg i mean not only for a long time you know not to name drop or whatever but You know, Sam has been a big influence on, you know, me diving into Ah, the stories. So I missed that. I missed it. Sam is in the comic book. I didn't even know. See, see, Mark, this is where this is my (laughs) other influence, right? And this is me and Thomas had a discussion, too, about this. Isaac Weishaupt, too. I mean, he's my other dual pillar of Joaquin and Boaz, right? He's... Because I'm very into film and pop culture as well. So you have Isaac Weishaupt, right? Which is, that's who that is in, in, in the bottom. And like that's, I, said, I thought it was Sam at first. And I, yeah. I had to ask Shane to clarify for me. Yeah, it does kind of <laughs> look like it, Sam from this angle. But okay, so this is Isaac. Interesting. Right. And I think I, I, think I said to Thomas, I was like, listen, Isaac's just like, the sexier brother of the two, right? You have Sam, he's like the older brother that's like, he's the wild one, right? You know, like he has his old fucking sex charisma too, but Isaac there, you're right, he's the younger one, but that's where I went with, uh, you know, he always refers to Mark Zuckerberg as Mark Zucchini-berg, you know, so, and he and he's always saying these nerds are going to kill us all, so I, I just have thought it was cool to that. have. Exactly, so I had him like in the bottom, you know, being funny as well with the trademark, you know, little emblem too there. And these nerds are going to kill us all. And then with this one too, like, you know, you have these, (laughs) 
these metaverse barbecue sauces, which are referring to his, when he discussed the metaverse and stuff, he had these like really oddly placed Sweet Baby Ray's barbecue <laughs> sauce bottles in the background. And then like he, I, I know just from me looking into it and what had come out, he, he was like, yeah, I really love Sweet Baby Ray's. Like I barbecue with my boys, beep, beep, bop, bop. <laughs> like, I do enjoy human activities. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So you have him and like, I remember too, like after this, Sweet Baby Ray's came out with their recipe. Like, listen, fuck Zuckerberg. Like, here's a recipe. Like, we're not hiding anything. Nothing special. Like, fuck the, him. No like, Adrena Chrome in, in the fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I really, I just, this one was really just like, I, I like the Jack Parsons one, but this one as well was just the way the composition is of everything. Like, I'm very into balance and you know, with a little bit of humor in there too. And with a modern day pop culture, like even that, that, that underlying, like, like Isaac Weishaupt, you know, he's not a, a household name, but it's like that little nod to the people that are going to be like really enjoying it. And the people that are going to be doing what me, you and Thomas are doing and like really diving into like the hidden, the hidden symbolism and little nods that, that me and Thomas really wanted to include in this book. So this one's really cool to me too. Right on. Yeah. I love it. If it hasn't been sent to Isaac yet, I would love to uh, send it over to him. I'm sure he would love to see it, but yeah, that's very cool, man. So we'll end the preview series. As you can see, there's a whole bunch more pages we can go through, but we'll, we'll leave a little bit more to the imagination now. Yes. And there was a couple things we wanted to go back to, right? There was, there was from the first three pictures uh, you had mentioned, I mean, if it's too far down the memory hole now and we can't remember, that's fine. But you had mentioned uh, either it was with Benjamin Franklin, Alistair Crowley or Nikola Tesla. There was something that we could go into deeper. I don't want to leave that too far it might be too far out, but I don't want to leave that on the table if you do remember. Yeah, I mean, we can here. I'll, I'll pull up the Tesla again. I mean, on all of these, there's a lot more that can go into this. So one of the the other ones, if you look on his lapel here, we've got the numbers three six nine. This was one of the quotes from Tesla, where uh, I might be paraphrasing it incorrectly, but if if everyone could just understand the the mysteries behind three six nine, you would understand like the mysteries of the universe. Right. And if you also look, yeah. I'm going to skip to the very last page here, which has a, a color inversion of the cover. And if you actually look in the background, we've got three sixes and nines kind of scattered throughout here. And if you look through the rest of the pages, um, again, Nikola Tesla was page or he was illustration number three. So we kind of assigned him this number of importance of three. And you'll also notice a lot of the other characters, Jack Parsons being four, Manly Palmer Hall originally was going to be 33, but we, <laughs> we moved them up to five. But there's there's reasons behind, like, even they're just numerical placements within the book. So I'm, we're hoping that some people can sort of dig some of this out and, and derive it for themselves. Absolutely, man. Yeah, I'm with it. I think I'm going to have a good time coloring this in. And like I said... A lot of inspiration to be had, you know, in, in the various rabbit holes that the symbols and artwork will lead you down. So kudos to you guys. I'm, I'm glad you put this together and I'm grateful you sent it to me. 
you want to tell the listeners where they could pick it up? Is it available for folks to, to purchase at this point yes. in time? So right now, the best place to get it is to go on Amazon and just search for Paranoid Portraits. It'll be the very first one. And I, I'll mention, too, that this is part of an ongoing series of other coloring books. So Shane's is, is by far the longest one of 34 different illustrations. And there's a couple others. There's one called The Cult of the All-Seeing Eye. There's another coloring book called American Cryptids. And then there's going to be another one that is sort of a Lovecraftian approach on modern politics. Right, um, but right now, the only two that are available are, are Paranoid Portraits and Cult of the All-Seeing Eye. And you can find them both on Amazon. I love it. Well, both of you, Shane, Thomas, I appreciate you being here and sharing this with for the audio listeners. Definitely check this out on Rockfin or on our Patreon or just go out and get the book yourself and listen to the interview while you're coloring it in because we definitely touched on a lot of topics that I didn't even expect to touch on. I mean, the whole Ted Gunderson thing, I got to go in and look at that some more. And I don't know. Keep in touch if you guys are going to put a part two out because I'd love to throw some suggestions in there for for future characters. <laughs> but, but yeah, if you guys have anything else to share where people can follow up with you, please feel free to plug away shamelessly. Shane, you, you lead. Uh, okay. Yeah, mine's real simple. I just go follow me at Tron's Universe to see all of my drawings. And I'm going to plug Thomas before he even plugs himself. Like, he's <laughs> the man. I, I will say, like, all of what we talked about today, all of the pages from this book, I really would advise people to look at the AKAs below Thomas's <laughs> name because I come up with some pretty inventive names. But, uh, but, yeah, no, follow me at Tron's Universe. And, Thomas, go ahead and tell him. So the uh, main website is paranoidamerican.com. You can read at least a third of all the pages I've ever created over the last 10 years for free there um, for a short amount of time, because as soon as I've got these books up on Amazon, I'm going to take them off the website. So hurry up and go and read, you know, time samplers, secret mystery school, fiction, faction, all of them on Instagram. It's at paranoid American and just look me up on Amazon, uh, paranoid American. You'll find a whole bunch of different works there. And merch got paranoid American, American gladiator yeah. shirts and all kinds of cool stuff. If, if you watch uh, the one-on-one podcast, you'll see him rocking a few of my shirts too. Right on. <laughs> all right, brothers. Well, be sure to send me all the links to that afterwards so I can include it in the description. And thank you folks for tuning in. I hope you go and pick up this coloring book and check out those comic books, man. Those are some really, like I said, they're not fictional. They're definitely based on true stories, we'll say. So with that, folks, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for sticking with us and have a great moment wherever you are in the now. Peace. All right, here we are on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. We had quite a month. This is coming out on February 28th. A lot of great interviews this month and a lot of great ones on the way. Some that have already gone down and some that are just in the works. I'm excited for spring, obviously. (laughs) Streaming live here from coastal New England. We've had kind of a bleak winter and that's all right. It's generally pretty, pretty 
cold here, but honestly, in light of some recent conversations, I am starting to think uh, maybe something's going on. It seems like winters aren't what they were when I was a kid. I remember snow, you know, one foot, then another foot, then another foot. Pretty soon you have like six, you know, three, four, five layers of, of snow out there. Six snowfalls, you know, it, it gets high. But lately, at least in the past three or four years, hasn't been much snow. So I don't know what that means as far as weather warfare or anything like that, but I definitely am excited. I'll just say I'm excited for a package that's arriving soon, thanks to a guest who is on the show. And you will hear that interview very soon. But anyways, <clears throat> today's interview... Kind of a different style of interview. Uh, it's not easy to do an interview around uh, a coloring book unless your coloring book is full of really crazy people like this one is. I mean, Benjamin Franklin, Aleister Crowley, Nikola Tesla, Jack Parsons, Manley Palmer Hall, Aldous Huxley, Alan Dulles, Jeffrey Epstein, Ghislaine Maxwell Stanley Kubrick and that's only barely one-third of the book folks okay they even have Mark Zuckerberg and past guest Isaac Weishaupt which kind of looks like Sam if Sam had a mustache but I, I could see now that they they drew Isaac Weishaupt there he's got his bad boy of conspiracy good looks but anyways, shout out to Isaac Weisop. I think he will be joining me on the show real soon. I've been doing a lot of shows. If you're not aware, we have a new series of shows called Illuminati Confirmed that is conducted with myself and friends Juan from the One-on-One -on -One podcast and Chris Prozer from the Mensa podcast. It's a good time. We don't think take things too seriously but we tackle very serious topics and we have an interview coming out this month of march with a guy who you know i'll say i definitely uh i respect the guy but i'll let you guys decide what you think very interesting stories very interesting claims sign up for the patreon to see the whole interview speaking of patreon our newest patron is Brian. Brian, welcome to the family. Your spirit animal name is the War Eagle. You got the War Bonnet card, which symbolizes an advancement in your life. And you also got the Eagle card. Very cool. Thank you so much for supporting the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast there are many ways to support the show whether you support us on patreon to tune into all of our bonus audio content or if you support us on rockfin to tune into the majority of our bonus video content which we also have on the patreon but we also have folks who give us a one-time donation in the form of a paypal or what have you and then the other really cool thing we just started is a merch store. And let me tell you, folks, I've been working hard tirelessly every night coming up with new designs 
and I think some of them are pretty badass. They look like band t-shirts for people who like podcasts, okay? Each podcast t-shirt is kind of based off of a different theme that we've talked about on the show, or maybe even just a theme that I think is cool and relevant to the show. So go to the Teespring. You can find the link in the description. It's the first link in the episode description, wherever you're listening to the show. If you're listening on YouTube, go over to myfamilythinksomecrazy.com and hit the button on the top right-hand corner, that menu button, and go over to Shop. And you can find all of our stuff there. Click the link. You'll go over to our Teespring store. Uh, and we also have the link on our link tree. Link tr slash ee slash mftic. Sorry, dot ee slash mftic. Anyways, here we are, folks. We got a new patron. And we got a shout out to Mishi Mushu on Twitch. Thanks for the support. Mishi Mishi Mishu. Uh, out there in Australia, fighting the good fight, uh, streaming on Twitch. They sent us a, a one-time donation. And here we are, folks. Paranoid portraits. I colored in actually two. The Alistair Crowley portrait and the Alex Jones portrait. So a lot of fun stuff with this coloring book. I definitely recommend you check out ParanoidAmerican.com because beyond the coloring book, they have so many awesome issues of comic books, and they're all grounded in this world of conspiracy and intrigue and mystery and paranormal. So if you're into comic books, I definitely recommend you check out Thomas's website, ParanoidAmerican.com. Cool stuff. All right, folks. We got our sponsor for the month of February, Truth Smacks. Go to truthsmacks.com and get yourself hooked up with some of the freshest peppermint trail mix on the market. It tastes great, and it's great for you, too. And it's the only trail mix, the only trail mix for those of us hiking the flat earth. That's right. They got some flat earth facts on their trail mix bags. And not just flat earth facts. They have great quotes that'll make you think twice about the world, like this one from Arthur Schopenhauer. All truth passes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Second, it is violently opposed. And third, it is accepted as being self-evident. And I definitely see that in cannabis and its history think about how it was ridiculed and they they thought you know oh this is something that you know immigrants and oh you know minorities use and it's untrustworthy and it's silly and it makes you lazy and all this junk that they said about cannabis in the early 1900s then they go and make it illegal violently oppose it lock people up, shoot at people for growing a harmless plant. And now, here we are, after however many years, almost a hundred years of oppression, cannabis is almost widely accepted. Unfortunately, there are, there are still places on the globe 
where you can get in a lot of trouble for doing something that I do every day. And I don't say that to make you feel bad, but if you are living in a place where that's the case, then maybe you should do something about it. I don't know. Just using it as an example, I don't mean to get on my soapbox about smoking weed, but I don't know if I would ever have even gotten into this world of understanding if I hadn't smoked weed. And I know I've talked about that many times on the show. As for right now, it's a Monday episode, so I'm going to keep this outro short. Big thanks to all of you for listening Please send us a message on Telegram. Send us a voice message. I'd love to put another voice message on the show. Tell us why your family thinks you're crazy. Tell us why the world thinks you're crazy. Who knows? Leave us a message on our Telegram or just join in the conversation. We also have an exclusive patrons-only Telegram. So if you're supporting us on Patreon, be sure to message me and I'll invite you into the Telegram group. It's a lot of fun. And we also are doing once a month Patreon only meetups. So be sure to come around for the next one in March. I also have a really cool idea for an in-person meetup. If anyone's interested or in the area and March 22nd in New Haven, Connecticut, I will be planning a free walking tour of the secret societies of New Haven. We'll be walking from a location, a public location, a book trader cafe, to a series of locations, all in public, of course. And I will be giving a tour based on, you know, my brief story that involves these groups very marginally and also everything I've learned since. Uh, I'm going to be posting this on the higher side meetups. Hopefully it'll serve two purposes. It'll introduce me to some like-minded folks who maybe haven't heard the show before but would want to get together with other higher side chatter Fans, you know, higher side chats fans like myself for a fun little walking tour. I mean, I would never have made the friend Michael Wan without the higher side chats. That's a higher side chat meetup right there. No promises. Maybe he'll join us. Uh, but yeah, March 22nd. Um, I want to have folks who listen to the show come on down. If you want to meet me, if you want to hang out, if you want to learn some things about skull and bones and secret societies and new haven and what's going on and all the different symbolism that you can see you know we're not going to go anywhere like i said this is a public tour we're going to conduct ourselves in the you know public streets uh law-abiding citizens what you do on your own is up to you but yeah for me I think it'll be a lot of fun to tell my story and meet with some folks who are also interested in this stuff. And maybe I can teach you guys a few things that you can't look up in, you know, a Google search or a DuckDuckGo search or even, you know, like a book somewhere. These are things that I've just learned from being in this place for as long as I've been in it. So 
It should be fun. Like I said, March 22nd, we're going to do a walking tour. It is free. And the comic book that Thomas made called Geronimo's Grave, hopefully, time permitting, if he sends it to me in time, uh, I'll have some copies of it, and we will distribute them throughout the city and let people know on March 22nd, 2022, the truth about Geronimo. Maybe some knew, maybe some didn't know all the details, but we're going to put these pamphlets, these uh, little info zines, comic book things all over the city and see what happens. So maybe it'll just slightly realign the collective consciousness of the town. Maybe it'll wake up some unwitting students who will then go on to be like Charles Eisenstein, you know, Yale alumni who actually goes on uh, conspiracy podcasts and talks about this stuff, or maybe even Mark Gober, Harvard student who goes on to talk about this stuff. I mean, even if we just wake up some students, it'll be worthwhile. Not that any students are going to be a part of it, no masks allowed, and as far as I know, majority of them like to wear masks outside. I could be wrong, but either way, here we are. My family thinks I'm crazy. It's a true statement and the name of the podcast that you're listening to. Thank you for being here. I'm your host, Mystic Mark, and I hope you enjoy the moment wherever you are in the now, and I hope to see you on March 22nd in New Haven. Get in touch with me on the website for more details or go to the hiresidemeetups.com. Cross our fingers and hope that they put meetup on the site. <laughs>